Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. All right, guys, I'm going to ask you to do something very selfish right now. Uh, I want to ask you, and if you, some of you are going to hate me for this. It's okay. I would love to have this kind of closer together. The 8 o'clock is a more intimate service. Would y'all on the wings kind of move in a little? Uh, and we got a lot of gaps here. Let's kind of fill this in. I know you hate me. Sorry. Let's do that. Let's move in. It's hard for a preacher when everybody's scattered. And so in this smaller service, it would serve me well, and I think the body of Christ well, to fill our proximity together. And as you're moving there, go ahead and turn with me to Revelation chapter number three. We're in week three of our sermon series going through the letters to the church in Revelation. See how nice this feels? We're all just like one big happy family here. And it's all right, COVID's not quite as prevalent as it was, so you're going to be fine. Uh, Hey, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word, Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now hear the words of Christ himself. Christ says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. Lord Jesus, we pray for your blessing and your power and your presence over your word as it goes forward. Jesus Christ, Abide with us and wake us up to see you and to behold your glory. God, come, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. In verse number one, Jesus says to the local church at Sardis, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. We can go to church. We can do all the Christian things. We can have a Christian reputation in the community. But Jesus says our reputation isn't always reality. 
In the mid-80s, my dad was the principal down at Livingston Central High School in Smithland, Kentucky, way western part of the state. And our house in Smithland was at the bottom of a hill. And on the top of that hill was a cemetery, a big one. Talking about having nightmares as a kid, have a cemetery in your backyard. And uh, we used to take daily walks through the cemetery as a family. Looking back now, I don't know why we did that. Uh, My sisters and their friends would have sleepovers, and they would go to the cemetery and tell ghost stories and play hide-and-seek, and and they're all in therapy now. Uh, But but one thing thing I noticed, even as a young kid, this kind of... (laughs) Strange as it says, growing up in a cemetery uh, explains so many of my problems, I guess. I I remember, sadly, some of those gravestones uh, were never taken care of. And there were never any flowers. They were dirty. They were abandoned. They were eerie. Somebody had been buried in 1912, and nobody had been there since then. But then there were other gravestones, and they had fresh flowers every week. And you would see the same people coming every week to, to... freshen it up and to bring flowers, and the tombstone was nice and clean, and even though the body under the ground was was obviously dead, the tombstone was vibrant and, and gave signs of life, and Jesus says it's that way spiritually too. Jesus is addressing religious church-going people in Matthew 23, and he says, woe to you. That's a pronouncement of judgment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. And immediately they envision a cemetery. Whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you are full of the bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That just means sin. So in the spiritual religious world, what you see isn't always what you get. We can listen to Christian music and play the part. We can post Bible verses on Facebook and play the part. We can appear holy on the outside. We can seem to be righteous and religious to the people in the community. We can put on our Sunday best and play the part, but Christ says all along we can be whitewashed tombstones, and though we look the part, we're dead on the inside. Reality doesn't always match our reputation. In Matthew 15, Jesus again is rebuking religious church-going people that just go through the motions, and he says, this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. So our bodies are in this sanctuary this morning, but our hearts could be in a spiritual cemetery a thousand miles from here and a thousand miles from Christ. And this is why Jesus warns the church in verse one. He says, I know your works. He's declaring here his omniscience, meaning he knows all things. He's God. I know your works. In other words, you, you can fool everybody, but you can't fool me. I know your works. I know your heart. I know the real you. You have the reputation of being alive and religious and spiritual, but you are dead. Is Christ speaking these words to you? Do you look alive and you play the part, but in actuality, you're dead on the inside? Jesus says in this prophetic word that there are people in this room who are sitting upright in a church pew, but they're actually spiritual corpses lying in a coffin. 
Sometimes the reason it feels like a funeral service in our church when we worship is because for many of us, it is a funeral. It's our own because we're spiritually dead. Is the chair you're setting in actually a coffin? Christ says there are whitewashed tombstones all throughout this room. And for some of us, it's, it's spiritual death in an Ephesians chapter two sense, meaning we're dead in our sins, meaning we've not been born again. We've not been made, we've not been saved. We're lost and under the wrath of God. We're spiritually dead. And if that's you, today is the day of salvation where you hear the voice of Christ, turn from your sins, and be made alive in Jesus. But I also think Christ is alluding to a second kind of death in this text, which is more like a spiritual coma that an actual believer can fall into I say that because look at the language Jesus uses in verse one and two. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Then notice what he says, wake up. Now, someone that is dead in the final sense of the word can't wake up. But this kind of death you can wake up from. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Then in verse three, he says it again. He says, wake up. So thank God. Jesus doesn't say, it's too late, you're dead, no hope for you. Christ says, some of us are spiritually dead this morning, but he's inviting us to wake up. Sometimes Christians, therefore, can fall asleep spiritually. But it's not just a little innocent catnap after church. It's more like a deep spiritual coma where, if you allow me the metaphor, we're on a ventilator in the spiritual critical care unit. Like there's still some spiritual life in there because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, if we're Christian. But over the course of our life, or in this season, we've suppressed the Holy Spirit through our sin. We've grieved the Holy Spirit through our spiritual apathy. And as a result, we've slowly drifted into a spiritual coma. It never happens overnight. It's a slow, slow falling asleep on Christ. And and we've fallen in love with the things of this world more than we have the things of God. Because to fall in love with the world is to, by definition, John says, fall out of love with Christ. And so how do you know if you're in a spiritual coma? It's when the things of God don't excite us anymore. It's when the gospel doesn't move us with affection like it used to. It's when our worship is dead. It's when our prayer life is stale. It's when our Bible is collecting dust. It's when we have fallen out of community and accountability with fellowship with other Christians. We stop going to small group. We refuse to engage in any kind of small group proximity because we don't want the accountability or we're too busy. It's when we spend more time gossiping about other believers than we do praying for them and encourage them. It's when our commitment to the church is weak and waning. Can I say this? If our commitment to the, if some of us show the same commitment to our jobs that we do to Christ church, we would have been fired months ago. 
We used to tithe, but now we'd rather buy more stuff or take another trip or store up more money in our 401k, none of which we're going to take with us when we die. And yet our consciences are no longer bothered that we're robbing Christ, Malachi chapter 3 says. And so we can look alive because we show up on Sundays if it's convenient, or maybe we watch on the live stream, but in all actuality, we're in a spiritual coma, and if we don't wake up, Christ says, I'll pull the plug. Jesus says in Revelation 3, this is a life and death situation. So please, brothers and sisters, for the sake of your soul and for the sake of our church, don't check out on this message, and and don't assume this sermon is for someone else. One of the ways you know you're the sleepy Christian is if you assume it's everybody else that needs to wake up. Because that's called spiritual pride. So I'm delivering to, you know, sometimes um, pastors are called to be very pastoral. Other times pastors are called to be prophetic. Today, Christ has asked me to be prophetic. And I don't mean in a predicting the future sense, like, well, the world's going to end on May 12th, 2027. I mean prophetic in a Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist kind of way. Prophetic in a sense. This is a warning from God for his people to repent. God's not asked me just to make us feel warm and fuzzy this morning. He's asked me to warn his people of his judgment that is coming to a sleepy church. Look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's like when your mama or your daddy used to say, young man, listen to me. It's when your coach used to say, boys, he'd blow the whistle, listen. Christ is saying, if you have ears that function Listen to what God is saying. Christ says, I'm pleading with you, wake up, oh sleepy Christians. Your soul is on the line. Now look at the warning Christ is giving us if we won't wake up spiritually. Verse 1, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die For I have not found your works. I take that to mean primarily loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. We're going to come back to that at the end. Keep it and repent. Now, here's the warning. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Now, Jesus isn't one that's normally comparing himself to a thief. What's he doing here? He says, if you won't wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Anybody ever been robbed before? We had our car stolen out of our driveway several years ago here in Owensboro. You know what the thief did not do? They did not call us ahead of time and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to steal your car in about 20 minutes, so go ahead and, you know, Watch your TV show so you won't. No, thieves never tell you they're coming. That's Christ's point. Christ says, I'm coming and you won't be expecting it because you've fallen asleep. Here's the context. The city of Sardis, to whom this letter was written, had been captured and destroyed by invading foreign armies twice when the watchmen over the city, the security guards, the guys with 
you know, the rifles are supposed to be looking for the bad guys. They failed to detect the enemy sneaking up on them. They fell asleep or they were scrolling on their phones when God was speaking. The watchmen fell asleep, and before they knew it, it was too late, and the enemy climbed up over the walls and took over the city. Happened twice. And they never saw it coming. Now, Jesus knows they knew that history because they had their Sardis history class in seventh grade. And so Christ says, that's what's going to happen to you spiritually. He says in verse 3, wake up. Because if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. I will come like those invading armies, and I will not give you a... But this is your notice, but this is the last notice you're getting. You won't know at what hour I will come against you. That's judgment language. We say judgment. I thought judgment was for the atheist and the people who, you know, don't go to church. But the Word of God says in 1 Peter 4, sometimes judgment begins at the household of God. Brothers and sisters, the greatest problem in America is not leftist activists. The greatest problem in our nation is sleepy Christians who profess Christ with our mouth. But when you look at our lives and our churches, there's no power. It's a form of godliness that denies its power, Paul says. So Christ says in verse 3, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. When Christ speaks of coming like a thief, he's referring to his second coming. How often, again, do we say, and I've done it to the lost world out there, man, y'all better repent. Christ is coming back. He's going to judge all y'all that hate God. Jesus is saying, no Pleasant Valley, y'all better wake up because I'm coming back. The second coming of Christ will be awful for those who are not saved. But Christ says it will be just as unbearable for those professing Christians inside the church who have fallen asleep. Because we don't know when Christ will return, but we ought to live as though it'll be tonight because it might. And we don't want to get caught sleeping when Christ returns. And this is not an isolated teaching. Christ says it over and over again in the New Testament where he compares himself to a thief. He does it multiple times. Let me give you a few. Luke 12, Jesus says, know this, if the homeowner had known at what time the thief was coming, he would not have left his house or he wouldn't have let his house be broken into. He says, you, church, be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Pleasant Valley, it's time for us to wake up and get ready for Christ. First Thessalonians chapter 5, you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So then in verse 6, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Pleasant Valley, it's time for us to wake up and get ready for Christ. In Revelation 16, Christ says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and seen exposed. Pleasant Valley, it's time for us to give up out of our sleepy pew, put on our church clothes again, and get ready for Christ. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 13, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come upon you for you to wake 
from sleep, Christians, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. That's the second coming he's referring to. The night is far gone. The day of Christ's return is at hand. God's word could not be more clear, and I only read you a few of them. I ain't got time for all of them. We don't know when Christ will return, but we ought to live as though it could be tonight because it might. You don't want to get caught sleeping when Christ returns. According to the National Health Interview Survey, nearly 15% of all adults had trouble falling asleep or staying asleep most days or every day in the past 30 days. I'm in that 15%. Who's with me? Anybody have sleep issues? Yeah. Uh, look more like 90% to 15% there. Uh, falling asleep is the weirdest thing. Uh, if you're like me, when I want to sleep and when I need to sleep, I can't. And when I want to stay awake and need to stay awake, I can't. If I could just like align the two. I mean, laying in bed, you know, tossing and turning all night up at 3 a.m. For me, it's another bowl of cereal because I guess in my head, I think honey bunches of oats will help the melatonin work or something. Uh, so when I need to sleep, I can't. But then when I need to be alert and stay awake, that's when I fall asleep, like when I'm driving home from a Kentucky football game last fall. The science of falling asleep is so bizarre. I'm sure there's a lot of psychology to all of that. But what makes a Christian fall asleep? What makes a church doze off? Christ gives us a clue in verse 1 and 2. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So in verse 2, Christ says, repent of your sleepiness, strengthen what remains, wake up. Okay, so how do you do that? How do you come out of a spiritual coma that some of us have drifted into? Here's the answer, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. That's how you wake up. You remember what you've received and heard. You keep it and you repent. So Christ says the stimulant that will wake us up, the coffee that will get us out of spiritual bed, the caffeine that will arouse our sleepy souls, or if you're like me, the Celsius energy drink that will rejuvenate your spiritual drowsiness is to remember what we've received and heard. Well, what is the message we've received and heard that we've forgotten that is making us fall asleep? It's the message of the gospel. It's the message that we were spiritually dead sinners, all of us, separated from a holy God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And because of our sin, we were objects of God's wrath, verse 3. And because of our sin and God's holiness, the Bible says we were enemies of God, Romans chapter 5. And as a result, every soul in this room was wide open on a highway to hell, Matthew chapter 7. But at just the right time, out of his great love for us, Christ came and he died for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Christ died in our place and took the wrath that we deserve. Romans chapter 3. But Christ didn't stay dead long. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. Matthew chapter 24. And then out of his great mercy, Christ chose us. Ephesians chapter 1. The Holy Spirit opened our eyes. John chapter 3. Christ drew us to himself when we were not looking for him. John chapter 6. 
6. And now because of Christ, our sins have been forgiven, Ephesians chapter 4. Because of Christ, we don't have to fear judgment and death and hell, Revelation chapter 3. Our names now have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Because of Christ, we have a home in heaven, John chapter 14. Because of Christ, we won't pay for a single sin we've committed because Jesus paid it all. And Christ is saying, if you want to wake up spiritually, go back and remember that gospel. Remember, church, that you were one heartbeat from hell. Remember that you were blind, but now you see. Remember that you were lost, but now you're found. We can't remember all of that and go to sleep on God. You can't remember the gospel and cross your arms during Sunday worship. You can't remember the gospel and scroll on your phone during Christian singing. Brothers and sisters, the reason so many of us are spiritually asleep is because we've forgotten what Christ has done for us. We've forgotten how close we were to hell. We've forgotten. We've lost our gratitude for Christ and the gospel. We're no longer amazed by his grace, that he would save us. We've taken for granted that we were saved from the wrath of God. And we've crawled up in the pew and gone to sleep. But this morning, Christ is saying, wake up and remember the gospel that saved you. Wake up and turn from your sin of spiritual apathy. Wake up and get back to starting every day in 2024, reading the word of God and praying. Wake up and recommit to serving Christ's church and to giving to the church of Christ. Wake up and share the gospel with the lost and dying. Wake up and get back to the altar, praying for God to save people that are going to hell. Wake up and come to the altar and ask forgiveness for falling asleep on God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get caught sleeping when Christ returns. So Pleasant Valley, this is the word from Christ to us. Let's all as one body get on our faces this morning before God and cry out in repentance for our spiritual sleepiness. And let's plead with God to wake us up and send revival. That would have been the appropriate time to say amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Where's our musicians? We need y'all. At this time, I believe God is calling us to fall down before him and say we're sorry. To fall down before him and ask him to wake us up and help us love him with all of our heart. To fall down before him and praise his name again for saving us. So we're going to open up this altar down here, and I'm going to be the first in line. Here's what I want to do. I want to ask our pastors, brothers, to come on down. I want to ask our deacons to come on down, our ministry team, our prayer team, our staff, community group leaders, discipleship group leaders, to come and lead by example. A church will only be as awake as its leaders. We're going to get down on our knees before God. We're going to pray and seek repentance. Now, everyone else, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you this morning, we want to ask you to come forward as well and pray in repentance. You know, this altar isn't magical. 
Christ isn't more down here than he is in your seat, but there is something in Scripture about being humble and getting on your face. There's something in Scripture about a physical expression of brokenness and desperation of swallowing pride and saying, I'm not too pretty to get on my knees before a holy God. It's okay if I get my khakis wrinkled. I love, I'm more desperate. I'm more broken over my sin than I am. Well, what will people think if I go down front? It, it, there's something about a, a humility and saying, I don't care what other people think. I just know I'm a sinner and I'm backslidden and my heart's cold and I want Christ to wake me up. So as the Spirit leads you, you can pray where you're sitting. You can pray here at the front. But let's take some time and go before the Lord and seek him in repentance and ask him to wake us up. Father, forgive us of our spiritual apathy. Father, forgive us of our spiritual sleepiness. Father, forgive us for loving the world more than we love you. God, forgive us for our lack of gratitude for the gospel. Lord, we seek your forgiveness. Lord, in accordance to your word, this is our attempt to wake up. Uh, 
But God, we don't have the power to wake ourselves up. We, we need your spirit. So Holy Spirit of God, would you tangibly fall in this room and manifest yourself among us so that the room is heavy and the sin feels heavy? But oh God, that you would breathe freedom into us and life and renewal and rejuvenation that those that are lost will be born again. Spirit, open the eyes of dead sinners to see Christ and the need for Christ and salvation. God, wake up, sleepy Christians. Wake up this preacher. Oh God, excite us about the gospel. Give us a vision of Christ. Set our hearts attuned to the things of God, not the things of this world. Crush the sin in us. Grant us repentance. Give us revival of your spirit and your presence. And God, as we prepare to sing, help us to worship with our heart, so strength and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, please stand. We're going to go into a time of worshiping God in song. So in accordance to this text, wake up and let's give God praise. Let's wake up and lift our voices to the king. Let's wake up and if necessary, get on our faces before our holy God. Let's wake up and stop worrying about what the people around you think about you when you worship. Wake up and let's repent of our fear of man. Let's worship like the Bible tells us to worship. Psalm 98, shout joyfully to the Lord. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Psalm 134, lift up your hands, to the holy place. Why do people lift their hands in worship? I don't think they're trying to draw attention. It's because they're obeying the Bible. Lift your hands to heaven. Psalm 95, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Rarely in the Bible can I find where worship looks like this. I don't see it one time. There's always some kind of doing something to show affection for God. This is not about drawing attention to ourselves. This is about Christ is worthy of wholehearted worship. Romans 12 says, give your whole body as a living sacrifice to God. Some may shout, some may get on their faces, some may clap, some may raise their hands, some may kneel. However the Holy Spirit leads you, worship God in a spirit of freedom. Let's practice now what heaven's gonna be like forever. In Jesus' name, let's sing. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.